Welcome back to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Johnson. One of the largest trends in enterprise innovation has been the adoption of large platforms like SAP and Salesforce. But many organizations don't realize the full potential of what these platforms are capable of and don't know how to extract that value. Salesforce is obviously one of the big ones, and they've tried to help their top tier customers innovate more effectively with Salesforce Ignite, which is effectively an innovation consultancy within the company. My guest today is Brian Velmure, previously one of the partners behind Ignite, and now the global lead of an executive thought leadership and senior director in their Office of Innovation at Salesforce. And in this conversation, we discuss the origins of Ignite, uh, how it differs from a typical design thinking process. Uh, Brian also shares some of the more common mistakes that he sees uh, innovation groups make when embarking upon disruptive initiatives, and shares some of the trends that he's most excited about in the coming years. So with that, let's uh, go to Brian. All right, Brian, really excited to have you here. Thanks so much for taking the time. Why don't we Why don't we start with Ignite? I know that was one of the programs that you were one of the champions for. Like, what 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 is Ignite first of all, and and maybe how did it get started? What was the genesis of that? Yeah, great question, Sean. Thanks for having me. Um, Ignite was a program that was an experiment uh, by our CEO Mark Benioff, and it was it was the origin was actually a recognition that Salesforce had um, you know, and this is going back maybe about six or seven years ago, um, Salesforce had become, you know, sort of recognized as a leader in CRM. And for quite a long time, for the history of Salesforce, like Mark Benioff, our CEO, um, had been approached by many leaders, initially of sales, you know, and then marketing and then service, and then, you know, CIOs. And he had been asked about domain-specific expertise. Say, Mark, what's your approach on sales? How do we begin to drive better performance in our marketing organization? How do you bring the core tenants uh, CRM together. Um, and those conversations continued to persist, but there was this new level of conversation that, that Mark was beginning to get, and that was coming from CEOs. And the CEOs were asking more questions like, um, wow, Mark, you're an innovator. You're driving outsized performance and success, and you continue to innovate and grow pretty dramatically. Our organization um, is being threatened uh, you know, specifically, we've followed a playbook for the last 20, 30, 40 years. That playbook is becoming more irrelevant. Our entire industry and the positioning of our industry is being, you know, rewritten. H- how do you approach this rapid change? And so as those conversations began to ramp, um, obviously Mark doesn't scale. And so he created this this team called Ignite originally to, to begin to have that type of dialogue with our customers in, a, um, in an investment in their success. I think, you know, Salesforce generally takes um, t- takes a pretty strong stance in recognizing that Salesforce only grows if their customers are successful. And so Ignite was launched as an investment in customer success with the assumption that, hey, if we, if we do this well and if we par- partner well with our, with our customers, helping them figure out some of the most challenging problems from, a, from an organizational growth perspective, then, you know, we probably or we might benefit in the long run from that. And so across a portfolio of investments, um, in quite candidly, a, a small group of our of our customers, um, it's it's reaped dividends. Where I think we're, we're driving a different type of change, we're cultivating a different type of dialogue with our customers, and um, helping them succeed. And because of that, you know, Salesforce benefits on the back end of that as well. That's really cool. What what, what is uh, for for one of those uh, customers that wants to that says, hey, I, I'd love to kind of go through that process. What are sort of the broad strokes of 
uh, of that process? What is, uh, what does it look like and how does it unfold over kind of what period of time? Like what are the kinds of things, the activities that you engage in with your, with your clients in, in the process? Yeah, great question. So the, um, you know, I think you can think of it, the, the folks that are within the team that's called Ignite um, as, you know, broken down into three capabilities, right? design, strategy, and research. And so you can kind of think of Ignite as a really a design and innovation firm. They just happen to be embedded within within Salesforce. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if you were to think about, you know, what are, what are similar organizations that exist in the world that are similar, you know, you've, it's, it's kind of a blend of, you know, your, your IDOs and, you know, frogs on one side, and then you've got your... BCG Bain McKinsey's on the other side. If you were to take a blend of both of those and embed that group within it within a technology firm, that sort of you know gives you a flavor of of who the people are. In terms of how we engage, um, you know, generally speaking, it's you know anywhere between a four and sixteen week project, depending on you know what we're trying to identify. And and there's a there's a bit of learning and alignment. Um, oftentimes when we're tackling. Um, I think the scope of challenges that we're attacking are something that has been handed down from the CEO or the board as a strategic mandate, you know, one of the three or five pillars of here's what we're focusing on, you know, for the next year, the next three or five years. Um, but if you were to talk to different members of the executive team or the different business units, you would all get a slightly different answer of what that thing actually means. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we help to cultivate a dialogue around what that means, build a shared consensus, um, and then leverage a lot of the tenets of design thinking to drive towards, you know, a shared, a shared vision of what the future looks like. And then um, because we operate within the context of, um, you know, one of the world's best technology platforms, we can then pretty quickly transition that vision or those recommendations to something that manifests itself that's, that's tangible, right, for people to say, like, yes. Um, I really like that. How do we get started? How do we, how do we move towards that? Or, Hey, uh, that's great, but I'd rather see us go in a, in a slightly different direction. All right. One of the principles of design is to actually, you know, rapidly prototype things. And so I think embedded within our process and this plays out in a number of different ways is putting something specific, um, intangible in front of our customers, which solicits some reaction and, and oftentimes it's positive. Yeah, that's awesome. You mentioned that, you know, sort of the design thinking and some of the parallels there. One of the things that I think maybe is a little bit unique relative to maybe some other folks that do sort of design thinking, you mentioned you kind of spoke to sort of the, where the McKinsey type of thing kind of comes in is this idea of t- taking the, pro- hey, it's it's great that we've done this prototype, but we also need to wrap a business case around this and kind of point to a tangible ROI as well as how feasible is it to pull this off? And, you know, I guess by virtue of being being who you all are, the fees, technical feasibility component is almost baked into the process because you're going to be suggesting things that you know that you can, you or they can 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 pull off. Did that happen sort of organically, or I guess maybe was it uh, was it just a function of who you all are and your unique lens and you see the world? How do you how do you think about those two kind of components to it? And I guess maybe speak to why you if if you do believe that that's sort of a a, a better way of doing things, not just necessarily stopping at kind of prototyping, which where a lot of people stop. How, how do you think about that part? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, so it's such an interesting model. In fact, one of the reasons why I joined Salesforce is because I was I was fascinated by the model. Um, I had never quite heard of such a thing, um, and so I was I was I was as much curious as I was um, anything else in terms of joining this team and and you know doing this type of work. Um, yeah, human centered design. I think everything everything that we do is centered on human centered design. But I think there. 
there are a couple other questions um, that have to be answered, right? Is this technically feasible, what we're even talking about? Um, yeah. And if so, how would you get there? And then is this is this viable from a business standpoint, right? And I think a lot of, um, you know, innovation, design, R&D groups, right? They're primarily focused on the first thing and they come up with a great answer and then they hand it off for somebody else to get figured out. And those are very different questions to answer. And so we embed that within our process because ultimately at the end of the day, the way that, um, you know, Salesforce makes money is to, you know, bring all of those things together and first start with, you know, is this, you know, desirable from a human perspective, but then is it also technically feasible, not only within, you know, on our platform, but we're stepping into, you know, large global conglomerates where they've already got, you know, you know, 78 systems, right? And so we're asking the question, like, not only will this work, but in, in most cases at that level, this has to be a heterogeneous, you know, um, uh, collaboration between lots of different pieces and parts from a technical perspective. And so we've got to answer that question. And then there's got to be a pretty solid uh, business case associated with, you know, arriving at the destination for the vision that we're counting. So yeah, that's embedded, all of that's embedded within our process. And I think that's what, um, that's what's unique and the feedback that we get um, from the customers who, you know, many of them work with some of the, you know, world renowned firms that I mentioned earlier. I think the fact that we kind of bring all of that capability together um, in one package is, uh, I think, really valuable in many circumstances. Yeah. From having gone through, you know, however many hundreds of iterations of that that you've sort of either facilitated or participated in or otherwise kind of been involved with, whether I'm doing Ignite or whether I'm kind of trying to facilitate an internal sort of design thinking kind of process, are there either pitfalls that you've seen that happen over and over again that you can avoid or are there particular strategies that you found to be particularly effective in maximizing the output or efficacy of a process like that? Yeah. First of all, like I'm not that old, like I haven't done hundreds of these. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But dozens, dozens is probably fair. Um, And what a great question. Uh, I mean, because at the end of the day, like this, it's really, really hard work to stitch all of this together. Um, You're talking about many different domains and disciplines coming together to to be unified. Um, One of the things that we've we've figured out and we pay close attention to is that we've got to get a very senior executive to sponsor the work that's happening. Um, Not, not because we're elitist, but, you know, oftentimes in our work, we're working with uh, divisional leaders or functional leaders that have a several billion dollar budget. Um, There's a lot at stake, right? Their, their jobs are at stake and um, business as usual would dictate that, you know, each of those divisional leaders has, you know, a a point of view that would optimize um, the value that their that their group would create. And so, by by going upwards into the org chart, depending on the the thing that we're trying to attack, um, you've got to have a senior executive first of all saying this is really important, and I want you to move this up your priority list. Mm-hmm. And then number two, they serve as a you know a, a tiebreaker or a mediator, right? I think you know in most cases. People generally want to do things that um, do things that are that are good for everybody. But at the at the same time, you know, when when you're talking about change, sometimes um, you know the the thing that's best for the overall organization is not best for one divisional leader, right? And mm-hmm. so you need somebody to sort of say, hey, you know, I get it, that makes sense. But because of you know the larger vision, the larger picture, this is the direction we're going to go. So I think that's a learning. Um, 
Yeah. And even what I'm talking about too is, um, you know, we've, we've done some work where we're just aligned with, for instance, a, a business unit president or a COO that doesn't have, um, either access or, um, I guess organizational, um, you, you know, control or influence over the IT organization. And, you know, when we're just working with the business, that doesn't go very well. Um, conversely, when we're just working with IT, right. And the IT, you know, we're aligning very, very well with IT agenda, but we're not considering what, what the business is trying to do. That doesn't go well either. So I, I think there's a lot of stakeholder alignment early mm-hmm. on that, um, you know, is, is a strong indicator of whether things go well or whether they don't. Uh, that's, that's, that's a big one. I think um, the, the other thing too is there are, there are different organizations and industries that have different levels of um, familiarity with the, with the precepts or the tenets of, you know, design thinking or, or that approach to change or problem solving. And, um, you know, depending on their maturity or familiarity, oftentimes there's a lot of pre-education um, or we will just look at a situation going like, man, like th- this team would benefit from, you know, a, a smaller step forward as opposed to a, a, a larger, more dramatic step that would, you know, deeply rely on rapid experimentation, hundreds of thousands of ideas. That's what yeah. I'm saying, right? I think so. I think alignment with tolerance, interest, appetite, you know, organizational context is a big part of what we pay attention to early, um, you know, and, and accommodating those realities. So for an organization that might be a little um, newer on the curve and their sort of risk tolerance or um, experience with this type of thing is minimal. Do you, you know, does it, does it look like pick a, pick a really small kind of problem, get a quick win, demonstrate the efficacy of it. And then, use that as an opportunity to then say, all right, let's think a little bit bigger and maybe start considering like a portfolio of these things that maybe are on kind of a risk continuum. Is that, is that a way of thinking about it or how, how, how do you think about that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I think absolutely. Um, for us, you know, I think for us specifically, there's a, there's an economic consideration of the, you know, the, the, the cost of investment and resources on our side. Um, you know, so the problem would certainly be narrower yeah. than, you know, absolutely not, not super narrow. Sure. So, you know, I think, you know, there, there's, um, and I, I think we're also asking, um, do we already have an answer? I mean, Salesforce has hundreds of thousands of customers mm-hmm. and we solved lots of problems in the sweet spot of, of CRM. And so, you know, generally speaking, we're, we're, you know, delving into our, you know, universe of use cases and success stories and factors. And we've got different programs that help, you know, customers accelerate, you know, um, progress on, um, you know, I think already, already trodden ground of problem solving, right. And where we apply Ignite is where, you know, hopefully in a domain where, um, these are things where no, nobody in the world has quite cracked the code on these things. And so we're, we're kind of the pioneering engine that's tackling those, those questions of like, man, I don't, I don't know. Nobody knows the answer. Nobody knows how this is going to play out, but yeah. let's take a relatively intelligent um, approach with a you know, set of proven methodologies to help, to help drive this conversation and help drive transformation. When they adopt a big platform like a Salesforce or something like it, 
there's sort of this evolution that sort of happens um, where they implement the initial piece of it, but they're not fully kind of utilizing it. And then they sort of realize, hey, in order for us to really kind of extract all the value out of this thing and to really sort of ingrain it into how how to transform everything that we do, like that the possibility exists to use this platform to transform, you know, many people's jobs to improve operational efficiency and across a whole wide variety of things to increase to improve customer experience in, in dozens of different ways. Um, are there approaches that maybe that, that you've seen that can increase an organization's ability to to fully leverage a platform that is as robust as as, as a Salesforce type of tool? And it sounds I mean, it sounds like Ignite was kind of a, uh, a tool to help them kind of expand their minds a little bit too around ways that they may or may not have been thinking about it already. But anything that you've seen there to kind of help people fully benefit from a from a from a platform like this yeah uh, a lot of a lot of themes there uh rich space for for lots of uh dialogue um i think if you think about you know zooming out and thinking about a specific company um in financial services or in consumer goods or retail um i, I think all of these industries you know media high tech right they're 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 changing pretty dramatically. Yeah. And I think the expectations of their respective customers are changing dramatically, whether it be in a B2C context or a B2B context. And so I think, you know, all these organizations are dealing with the reality of, wow, we've still got a backlog of things that we know we need to do. And at the same time, the ground is changing under our feet. And how do we, how do we respond to that reality in the appropriate way? Because I, if we if we focus too much on solving yesterday's problems, we're going to get left behind. But if we focus too much on solving tomorrow's problems, like we're we're not you know optimizing the you know the the majority of where our revenue and profitability is coming from today. So how do we how do we create the op, optimal mix from a business model and operational model perspective? Um, is sort of the first step. Embedded within those questions are how do we create a, a set of technologies that help us to not only solve what we know we need to solve like right now or the foreseeable future, but enable us to solve all the things that are going to come at us in the foreseeable future that we don't even, we don't even know what they are yet. Right. Because the world is changing at that pace. And so how do we, how do we accommodate both of those? And so you see things, you know, from an IT perspective, which are, you know, two, two speed IT approaches, one, which is, you know, closer to the traditional role of the CIO, one is closer to, you know, the next generation role of the CIO where CIO is, um, you know, leading, you know, the idea for transformation and how to do this, um, you know, patterns we see is, um, there's probably not one or even two vendors that, you know, organizations are choosing, but, you know, the, the organizations that ha have, 30 or 40 different vendors are going like, we, we just can't do this. This is not manageable or sustainable. And so like horizontally, I see from CIOs and CTOs kind of this trend to let's, let's consolidate down to a core set of partners that we can work with, um, you know, to, to harness the synergies of all the work that we're doing together and, and develop a relationship to help carry us into the future. And generally, um, you know, that number is somewhere between five and 10, of mm -hmm. you know, overall, overall IT partners. And so th that sort of answers your question um, in, indirectly. 
Um, you know, and I think there is a, there's still the age old approach of, you know, do I take best of breed or do I, you know, kind of anchor on to, you know, one or two major platforms. And I'd say broadly, what I'm seeing is there's sort of this hybrid approach where let's choose a small number of trusted partners that we believe can help, you know, carry us it for the next, you know, five to 10 years that we can partner with. Um, we don't want to get it too narrow because, you know, we need, we need some risk mitigation, right. But we, but if it's too broad, it's just too much, too much to handle. Yeah. Like, so from like an interoperability perspective and like, I've got different pieces of, of customer data or other types of data that are living in a dozen different systems and that's right. Mitigating decision-making and you were hampering decision-making process, that kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, like, um, you see that in the, in the world of ERP. Um, and again, like this is speaking at kind of a global enterprise level. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you see this manifest in a number of ways. Like you see SAP being like the core system of record. And then you see, um, you know, like in many cases, like Microsoft dynamics or AX, you know, that are like in the regional, mm-hmm. the, 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 the regionals. Right. And you kind of see the same thing playing out, um, you know, in the universe of Oracle, Oracle bot, you know, NetSuite, right. In the universe yeah. of ERP, Oracle yeah. financials is still like the core system. And then you see all this other stuff. And so in the world of CRM, I think, um, you know, Salesforce has a good, pretty good footprint, um, in, in both cases, but you see this whole universe of startups when you get n- n- cutting edge, um, AI, yeah. very, very li- little specific niches within that where, yeah. you know, people are building, as you alluded to it, um, on top of, um, you know, one of the, one of the primary platforms that are out there. Got it. Yeah. That's a, that actually brings up, um, you know, a question when you, when you start thinking about not, not necessarily tr- like disruptive in the sense that I'm going to upend an industry, but initiatives that are not necessarily part of the core business function. So things that are more startup like when a company is trying to kind of incubate startups internally, how generally would you think about that? Or how would you advise um, organizations to be thinking about those differently, if at all, from when it comes to things like platform considerations, when it comes to things like even just sort of, you mentioned, you know, issues around kind of, you know, cultural issues in terms of making those things happen. How, how, how would you advise organizations to think about those types of initiatives? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a great consultant answer. It depends. Um, (laughs) uh, So I I think it does, like, it does depend um, quite a bit on context, right? So, um, and, and I know that's a terrible answer to a, to a, to a really, really good and really important question that a lot of people are wrestling through wrestling with right now, but things that come to mind are, um, you know, how, how divergent from, from the core is this new, is this new initiative or this new idea, yeah. right? If we feel like it's an extension or it's an adjacency, then it can probably live probably, you know, closer to, you know, what the core business is. If this is literally a, a, a reimagining of, um, you know, a, a fundamental thing, you know, in the news, right? Facebook launching, launching their own version of a cryptocurrency. It's like, yeah. whoa, well, that's kind of a, a, new, a new business model. Or, yeah. you know, Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway, like uh, re, re-envisioning or rethinking what healthcare could look like. Like those kind of have to operate off to the side. And have to, you know, be, or as opposed to, um, what's another example? 
um, you know, something like a, like a Disney trying to launch ESPN plus, for instance, you know, it's like, well, that probably needs to be a conversation that's a little bit closer to the core, mm-hmm. um, you know, but with a, with a new set of, of, you know, talent, the different mix of people, cross-functional group to begin to, to rethink what that, what that is. And so I, I don't know if that helps to answer the question, but I do think broadly speaking, the further away and the further, the more aspirational, probably mm-hmm. the further away from the core business that, that, that effort, um, you know, needs to live. Yeah. Along those lines, and I, I know you, 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 you've had exposure to and developed sort of some level of competency in a very wide variety of, of industries, very wide variety of technology. It seems like you, you have a, a curiosity and or sort of level of experience with sort of where, where the puck is sort of going in the future. Again, super broadly, and you can go any direction with this. Like, what are you really excited about right now in terms of, in terms of either industries that you think are particularly uh, exciting um, or sort of ripe for disruption, or uh, technologies that you think are particularly compelling and, and could be um, sort of step function changes? Like, what what are you really jazzed about these days? There's so much. I mean, first of all, like I just think we're living in such an exciting time. Um, there are so many things changing so fast that um, anybody who is saying there's no opportunity out there isn't really paying attention because stuff is moving super fast. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned it. That the convergence of industries is fascinating. If you look at, you know, the convergence between media and high tech, uh, that's pretty fascinating, right? I mean, like not that long ago, if you had told me that, you know, Facebook and Google and Amazon would be spending billions of dollars on producing original content. Um, I might not have believed you. Um, if you look, if you look at, uh, sort of the convergence between, you know, if you extend that circle out a little bit and look at the convergence between media and consumer goods and how those worlds are changing, you know, specifically like, um, you know, the stuff that's happening with Instagram and Pinterest and then becoming commerce engines. Yeah. And you look at, you know, if you can, if you, you know, um, embed within that story, how product placement is changing within the world of media and brand driven stories and all of this sort of stuff, all of a sudden there's this creation of this new universe that, mm-hmm. you know, hasn't existed in its existing manifestation. We're seeing stuff like that happen, um, you know, in China with, with Taobao explicitly, where there's these new forms of, we don't really know what they are. They're kind of this blend of, you know, social media and commerce and retail and yeah. the way that the way that information and money is exchanged is sort of. Yeah, like microtransactions of, yeah. and tipping and all kinds of different, yeah. Oh yeah, you know, the, um, all that, you know, you look at things like Twitch, Right. And, you know, Twitch has as many viewers as CNN or Nickelodeon. Um, And you begin to go like, whoa, what does this mean? Um, You know, I think also, you know, like in Europe, auto, uh, which is a large, large retailer, the fact that they're now enabling instant payments with their own, um, you know, financial system, basically, like there's no intermediary. It's just like that they're essentially acting as a bank. Yeah. you know, I mean, the fact that uh, other things that come to mind, right? Like Ikea, who's traditionally made their money off of selling furniture. Um, now they're renting furniture. Same thing with Urban Outfielders, who's always sold clothes. Now they're renting clothes, right? Yeah. So we're seeing this convergence around um, 
the way that consumers are making decisions about how they allocate their uh, time and money, their discretionary time and money especially, is super fascinating. And I think that if, if you frame the world through that lens, all of a sudden you realize like, whoa, man, there's a lot of convergence and a lot of white space. If you begin to find um, these fuzzy little spots on the on the fringes or even between, you know, one or multiple, you know, things that we would call industries or sectors in the past. Yeah. You, in, 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 in the context of either of, of, of existing organizations that maybe have stood up innovation teams or just, uh, you know, maybe lines of business owners or whatever, you'll sometimes hear... Res, almost resignation, like on the one hand, like they, they, they would never overtly say it to their teams or anything like that. But there's this hint of like, I feel like we're going to get disrupted either from these incumbent or, the, or sorry, these upstart companies um, in the Valley that I've never even heard of. Um, and they're just going to, you know, pick off pieces of what we do. Or on the other hand, these monoliths, like an Amazon or Facebook or even, you know, or, or, or Salesforce in the sense of like they have built into their DNA, this ability to sort of rapidly innovate and bring new products to market and successfully kind of expand what it is that they do. Um, and there's this sense of sort of resignation there. And I agree with you in terms of um, there's tons of opportunity out there. If someone came to you over drinks and were confiding in you and you're saying like, I just think I can't, I can't create, uh, I can't do anything to change my organization to be anything different than what it is. And I've just resigned myself that these two kind of opposing forces are going to slowly, you know, destroy us. How would, how would you, I guess, advise them to either to get, to get excited one about the possibilities that are out there, um, that they could in theory take advantage of. And then, and then B, maybe are there, are there any sort of mental models or, tools that you've used to find out, it sounds like you've got this whole lattice work of kind of ideas and opportunities that where you're, 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 you have a lens through which you're able to sort of see opportunity everywhere at this point. And so maybe how would you advise them to kind of develop a similar sort of antenna for that kind of stuff? Oh, um, yeah, again, uh, Sean, you ask great questions. The you know, I think what I'm wrestling with or what's making me pause is, um, you know, the, the questions that are racing around through my mind right now are like, who are they? What's their experience level? What's their ambition level? Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's, you know, it's identifying those for all of those things. Right. And I, even, even, um, you know, m- myself, I'm having to constantly go like, Hey, where is, <laughs> where is my unique value here that I can, um, that I can provide in a certain context. And so I think, that that's a fundamental core question of, of that each of us needs to answer as as people of like hey what am what am I you know most unique at that that you know broadly has demand in the world mm-hmm. um, and I think if if we if we can get to you know at least a decent level of understanding on um, on that then I think you begin to think about well where where could I apply that you know that those sets of things right now and for some that may literally be well, how do I take my experience in, in a fast moving, you know, super innovative industry and go apply it to something that's, you know, from an industry level, really about to be disrupted, right? And we can see that and I can go leverage my skills and talent and experience. Um, you know, conversely, um, there's a lot of these disruptors or these upstarts who they're super cool and growing fast and all that stuff, but they're thinking about scale and growth. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm, in one of these large enterprises that might even be disrupted, 
those folks can go add a ton of value on how to help these younger startups, um, you know, scale and grow and sort of like operationalize uh, yeah. in a way that they haven't had to yet. And so I think you see this, um, you know, to take what you've done, uh, take where you are and somebody out there um, is kind of in an opposite situation and you can go add a, a tremendous amount of value. In fact, I was speaking with a, speaking with an executive, a very senior executive that had gone from one of the, the large media companies to um, a, a now well-known, you know, newer media company. And they were just talking about how, um, you know, this, the stuff that was kind of a no duh thing that she had been doing for, for 20 years um, in the old media company was super novel and super valuable in this yeah. newer company. Um, and so I think if, if you're, if you're young and hip and fast moving and been part of a disruptor, like there's a ton of opportunity for you and you know, the, the large enterprises that are asking the questions of like, Oh, how do we do this? And, and conversely, I think the same is true. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for doing, doing this with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this was fascinating. Thank you so much. Sean, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. My guest today was Brian Velmuir. For more information on how to embark on disruptive technology initiatives inside of your own organization, visit us at www.digintent.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, would love a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform you use. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.